Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Backmarkers F1 Show podcast. This is episode number 97, as we're going to be recapping the 2020 Turkish Grand Prix here on this Monday afternoon on the November the 16th, 2020. No Shaker Barty this week. He's on way on a movie set. That's why we're bringing this podcast to you via Zoom. So let me bring in my other co-host, Tyler McDonald, just a couple miles down the road. Tyler, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Chris. Yeah, what was a uh, interesting Turkish Grand Prix? We finally got like the the weather that we wanted. Uh, pretty wild weekend. Uh, everyone was driving on ice. It seemed like all weekend, but uh, it made for an interesting Grand Prix in the end. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just before we start, let me be the first to uh, maybe publicly and officially congratulate you, as you are a brand new homeowner. Oh. Just uh, over the weekend, so congratulations to you, and uh, obviously the best of luck with everything with that. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. Yeah, pretty stressful trying to buy a house in a, in a pandemic. Um, but uh, yeah, no, we're excited to start uh, moving into our new place. So yeah, appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, sounds great. Uh, so just before we get into uh, all the Turkish Grand Prix stuff that we have to go through, because there is a lot to get to. Um, of course, as always, our podcast is sponsored by the gpbox.com. You can check the video uh, description down below and you'll find uh, some discount codes and links. They've actually just updated their website uh, for anybody that's looking to do any holiday shopping for your F1 fan and your family or your friends, they've kind of uh, broken it down a little bit so you can find the the best gifts for them as well. And of course, uh, our Twitter giveaway is still open on our profile page for the 100K View Challenge. So just head to our Twitter page. That's also found in the, the link in the description below, and uh, you can enter there as well. Okay, Tyler. So basically what I wanted to start off with, maybe uh, just recapping this race, was actually to go back onto the Saturday. Yeah, pretty cool stuff on the GP box I was looking on there the other day and 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 uh, I don't know there's, there's a lot of cool stuff on the GP box so make sure you use our code and you go check out some great Christmas gifts on there yeah yeah absolutely um I know it's middle of November but uh, I guess the season is already starting because I was just on it yesterday and I, <laughs> and I noticed that they updated it so yeah check that out for sure um so yeah so let's start on on the Saturday actually which obviously history was made um, and not really something that we expected at all. I mean, Max Verstappen was looking really good all weekend long, pretty much led every session going into Q3. And then out of nowhere, Lance Stroll grabs his first career pole position. So I know uh, you, you must have seen the lap. So what were your thoughts when you saw Stroll getting pole position? Well, it's, uh, it was pretty intense and pretty excited as a Canadian in general, just because you know, first Canadian on pole since 1997, uh, it was kind of a little bit of a big deal. I mean, that's, uh, 23 years since we've had a Canadian on the pole. So huge shoes for, for Canadian racing, but, uh, in general, I mean, a very impressive lap, uh, in car control by Lance Stroll. He's really struggled since Mugello, um, to, really get his grip going. Of course, he had the COVID diagnosis and uh, had some rust to shake off. And then the two accidents, uh, last Grand Prix, um, really, it seemed to, to, to hurt his confidence a lot. He was very frustrated with himself. And you could see the emotion, the frustration pour out when he got the official pole position on the radio. I mean, that's one of the most excited I've seen someone for a pole position. So, uh, pretty impressed by Lance and his driving skills there. And I think he kind of showed a lot of people that, hey, I, I can do this. I got the, I got good car control. I can uh, be a top F1 driver. Um, it was just everything kind of came together there for him. Yeah, it was almost seemed like all of that uh, that frustration just came through and just came mm -hmm. out, uh, you know, in that team radio, which was really cool. Um, I yeah. will say, though, I was uh, I was pretty annoyed at Brad. Brad was not excited, and Brad needed to be a little more excited. 
<laughs> I, I don't know what it is. Like, like his engineer, I, that's just, just the only tone that he has. Yeah, I no emotion. It, yeah, exactly. Like people have been commenting about this in previous races, even after, remember he crashed in Mugello and Brad mm. was like, what happened? <laughs> yeah. It was like this weird what tone. What happened, Lance? Yeah. <laughs> so I, maybe he just has that only one tone uh, in his voice. But I mean, I guess he was excited. The team definitely was for sure. Um, but yeah, it was an exceptional lap. And when you look at the likes of Lewis Hamilton and, uh, you know, Max Verstappen, I mean, Lewis Hamilton was down all the way in sixth. Mm-hmm. And even Valtteri Bottas all the way down in ninth. And Lance Stroll was able to get pole position. So just, just a phenomenal lap. And I think that this weekend, as we move into what happened in the race, Regardless of the race result, I still think that this weekend was, I don't know if he needed to prove it anymore, but was still further proof that he deserves a spot in Formula One. Um, I think the way that he drove the first into that race, from the race start all the way until that second pit stop onto the fresh inters, was just absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, I think he was the best driver on the circuit at that point. Um was continuously putting in fastest laps to start the race. Uh, once the tires started to wear out a little bit, he saw Sergio Perez uh, start to close the gap and, and set fastest lap times. But Lance was keeping the distance around a 10-second gap to Sergio. And after that first pit stop, I think he even, I think it was like seven seconds before the pit stop and after it was about, about 10. So he even extended his lead a little bit. Um, just unfortunate for him that the strategy call didn't go his way. Um, the new tires really didn't work out for him uh, when he switched onto the new inters at the end of the race. But uh, the, for the first half of the race, uh, he was lights out and really was commanding. And you're, you're thinking, okay, Lance can actually win this race. There's a high percentage chance that he does this. And uh, it just unfortunately didn't work out for him. Yeah, I thought like uh, when I got to sort of lap 20 and he was still in the lead. And I think after Verstappen spun trying to get by Perez, I was like, let's just end the race now. <laughs> let's, Because yeah. it was such a long way to go. You know, it was one of the longest races I've ever watched. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, you, like you got the feeling that, OK, it's a long shot, but is a possibility. He made no mistakes. The gap was pretty decent, uh, even though it was coming down. He still had a decent gap. The likes of Hamilton weren't really finding the groove just yet. So I was like, maybe he could do it. Maybe he could do it. And then obviously it fell off. But... For everybody wondering, you know, what happened to Lance Stroll? Obviously, he was complaining about graining when he came in after the second pit stop for the fresh inters. And I was just telling you, Ty, before we came on, I just jump on Twitter. Let's see if there's any breaking news. And there sort of was one this morning. So I'm just going to share my screen with you here quickly, um, just so that we can show why the reason was that Lance Stroll was struggling so hard on that set of tires. And, you know, the thing is, is that uh, let me just pull it up here. We weren't really sure what was going on. You know, did he have any damage? And it turns out that he did. So this is coming from Racing Point this morning. So they say, update, during the team's routine post-race car set down, we discovered large damage to the underside of Lance Stroll's front wing that was a significant contributor to the graining issues he experienced during his second and third stints on the intermediate tires. So both stints actually on the inters as well. So just to kind of go further down here, Lance reported poor tire performance, significant understeer and graining from lap 17 onwards in the race, pitting for a fresh set of intermediates on the lap 36, failed to resolve the problem with the graining becoming even more severe. And then they go on to describe what the issue was exactly. One of the strikes on the underside of the front wing had come loose and lodged itself in such a way that that the blockage caused a significant loss of front downforce. The uh, The resulting loss of front downforce contributed to increased levels of graining. And then there's just a little bit more about the data and uh, the fact that they couldn't visually see it, um, but they still obviously were able to see it in the data later on. So 
there's the answer of why he was struggling so much because like we said he came out after that uh, second pit stop and just progressively started falling backwards and backwards Vettel got by him Lando Norris passed him eventually and we were just like what was going on so here's the answer <laughs> yeah it makes a lot more sense because it was really weird how um he had such worse grading than everyone else because it seemed like he was managing the tires very well in that first stand and I know you were talking about uh, on the broadcast how Racing Point can really fire their tires, get their tires really warmed up. That helped a lot during qualifying, and it helped a lot during the race too, especially the first lap. You know, at Racing Point one two for a long, long time, and uh, you know we were thinking, oh, maybe the the tires are too hot, but no, the the front wing damage seemed to to really hurt Lance, and I have to wonder where that exactly happened in the race because I don't really remember him having a moment at all or um really having a chance to sustain much damage so i don't know if he went over a curb maybe and that lodged something or or what because uh it seemed that it just kind of came out of nowhere all of a sudden he started losing time so you have to wonder too it with all that grading problem if they knew about this i mean maybe they should have taken the chance on slicks i know they're looking to try and keep third uh in the constructors standings and i know those two points that lance got somewhat help toward that but I, if i was racing i was thinking with 10 laps to go lance is is struggling so much just stick him on a, a pair of softs and see how he does yeah that's a good point i mean nobody eventually went with the gamble um we were kind of expecting it from somebody but nobody did i mean there was a uh, sort of in turn 13 14 was a, a little bit more standing water so might have been more difficult there but we did see a dry line and then eventually um, you know, as we'll get to probably later in the show with Lewis Hamilton's tires basically became slicks in the end anyway. So that was just uh, staying out long enough for that. So, yeah, I agree. You know, why not? I mean, he finished, uh, it was ninth in the end. So what's that? Two points. So, I mean, I guess every point does matter, but still they might've been able to, I think Martin Brundle was saying that fresh slicks would get 10 seconds per lap almost. Yeah, that was his prediction. And I mean, who knows? It would have been hard to pass too, because you would have to pass on uh, a more wet part of the track because I'm sure the defense would be just stay on the dry line for, for those runners on the intermediates. Um, but it still would have made it an interesting strategy call and who would have ducked in secondly or, or, or third uh, to try and cover off those uh, those slicks. So it would have been an interesting strategy call. would have shaken the race up a little bit. Um, but in the end, no one decided to take the risk, which was interesting. Yeah, but I mean, regardless, again, I still think that it was a superb weekend for Lance Stroll and a good weekend, too, for, for him to get uh, past all this bad luck. And again, when you look at it, I think the last five races or so were a little bit overblown in terms of the criticism on Stroll. Um, you know, when you look at, obviously, the crash in Magello, it wasn't his fault. There was a car failure in Russia, wasn't able to get out in Q3 because of the technical problem, then got hit by Charles Leclerc, which ended his race. Okay, and then obviously he missed the Nürburgring and then had two bad races in Imola and Portimao. So a little bit overblown, I think, when it was looking at like, oh, you know, this is such a poor run of form. It's like, well, you know, two of those races were his fault. The rest were just something that he couldn't control. So I think that this was a really positive weekend for him and, and interesting to see what he'll be able to do for the rest of the year. Um, now, when you're talking about who else would have possibly made that gamble for slicks, Sebastian Vettel was possibly the one that was looking to go on the slicks. And what a race for Sebastian Vettel. And I think that, uh, you know, his start was so good that I think we'll take a look at it here. It's actually pretty short. Uh, F1 posted it on their social media, but it's definitely worth looking at just because it was so impressive. It was Kimi Raikkonen-esque in Portimao, Portugal. I'm not sure actually it might have been uh, not as impressive as Kimi's, but nonetheless, it was still pretty amazing. Um, so this was lap one. And obviously... 
so many drivers were struggling for grip, some even starting in second gear just to minimize the wheel spin. But Sebastian Vettel's race was really determined here in this first corner and on this first lap. Yeah, really impressive here by Sebastian Vettel. I mean, you can see he just fired off right at the line. And I think Daniel Ricciardo is one that, that started in second gear. You can't see it in this angle if Seb did start in second gear or not, but uh, I know Ricardo was one. And of course, he had Ocon and Bottas spinning there. Those are some easy positions. But I mean, just like that, he was up to P4 yeah. in the first quarter. So really impressive by uh, by Seb. And that, uh, that's Lewis going off there when he, yeah. So then up to P3 for Seb. So yeah, no, very impressive start for, for Sebastian. Uh, got the tires fired off right away. And uh, he got to hold that P3 position for a little bit too, if I remember right, until um, Lewis came back on, I think it was pit stops when Lewis overtook uh, Vettel for P3. So it was looking like uh, we were going to have an all Aston Martin podium for a little bit <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with uh, with uh, the two racing points and obviously Sebastian Vettel going to Aston Martin next year. Yeah, that's right. Uh, it was amazing, though. And I think that uh, eventually it was after he passed Hamilton, Verstappen came up behind him as well. And he was holding Max for mm-hmm. a good chunk of laps until the pit stops. He never got by him. Um, but I was just impressed that well, I found it ironic and kind of funny, too, that the guy known for spinning the most in the last two seasons didn't have one spin at all. You know, kept it on the track for all 58 laps. I, I thought it was probably one of his best drives. Uh, maybe in his career. I mean, it's certainly up there with uh, with Germany 2019, for example. Uh, you know, another wet race, Monza 2008, his first race victory comes to mind as well. So this was just a nice race to sort of remind everybody that, hey, like I'm I'm still one of the best drivers out here in the world. I was just going through a really rough patch and I, I thought he was absolutely superb. Yeah, other than Germany a couple of years ago, and he was on slicks at that point, um, you know, Seb has been proven to be pretty handy in the wet in his career. So um, not a complete surprise, I don't think, to, for him to be, uh, to be you know, showing his performance uh, today, or not today, but this weekend. But um, especially in a car now that, you know, isn't the greatest uh, in Ferrari, uh, it was really nice to see Seb have a positive weekend and uh, get some solid points and, and try to kind of end on a high with Ferrari because they've, they've been through so much. And uh, it's, especially this year, he's had so much success. He just hasn't gone over the top of them. Um, and you kind of want to see them end on a positive note rather than the frustrating season we've seen so far with Sebastian Vettel versus Ferrari almost. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And with only three races to go after this, it's, it's just a nice way to build off as well for, for next season too. Mm-hmm. because absolutely yeah it's been more than a year since his last podium and until now obviously and we weren't exactly sure if he was going to get on the podium again uh, in a ferrari I, I didn't think so to be honest with you um so this obviously comes as a as a pretty big surprise and you know of course we can take a look maybe at the at the last lap incident or the last lap drama that sort of led mm-hmm. to the podium because until then he was on for a solid p4 finish even if he wasn't going to be on the podium i still think that it would have been uh, a really good finish for him but nonetheless it was still just kind of taking chances of a good opportunity from a mistake from his teammate, no less. Um, so let's take a look at the incident here. This was right at the end of the lace. We were all celebrating uh, Lewis Hamilton's seventh world championship, you know, the emotional team radio and everything. And then cut to this crazy last lap drama, which we don't get too often. So this was Charles Leclerc trying to go for an inside move on Sergio Perez runs wide. And then Sebastian Vettel just taking care of the opportunity. Yeah, it's, uh, it was handed nicely toward him, and then he was trying to get a good drive out of this corner because Sergio tires were absolutely dead. 
to try and maybe nab P2, but uh, wasn't able to get the traction. But uh, yeah, it, it, fortunate for for Sebastian Vettel. I mean, Charles, I don't know if you listened to his team radio after, but uh, he was uh, very annoyed at himself. Um, oh, you have it there. Uh, you <laughs> yeah. have it queued up. So yeah, we can listen to Charles' radio if you want right now. Yeah, this is the uncensored version. Um, it wasn't played fully on the on the broadcast, I don't think. But yeah, this is. Let's maybe just have a listen at the uh, uncensored version. P four, P four, slow button on. You did a good job. Really good. Job. No, I did a shit job. 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 That's it. I did a fucking shit job. I am so sorry to the whole team. I am fucking stupid. As much as in Baku. Basta, Charles, basta. Porta la macchina. Is that Benato? The box. Yes, the machine is not going to be normal. If not, I'm going to be a little bit of a little Now that I come down, congratulations to, to Seb. He deserves it. It's not been a, a good year for him. But yeah. Even if I am so pissed off of me or myself, uh, he's done a great job. And I hope you will enjoy it. <laughs> nice of him to calm down at the end yeah he was uh, angry Charles the PR Charles uh, midway through that thing but uh, yeah you could tell how upset he was with himself we saw that same reaction when he crashed in qualifying in Baku and uh, I mean it, it was a small little mistake it wasn't anything crazy I mean he was going for P2 he already had the position because Perez went wide and uh, he was up in P2 and just ended up locking the brakes. I'm trying to outbreak Sergio, who was coming back at him uh, for P2. And uh, yeah, let, let two positions slide. So unfortunate from Charles, but I mean, uh, you could tell he was, he was happy for, for Seb. He's, know he had a bad, he's known he's had a bad year and uh, kind of worked out uh, for the best, I think, for everyone in that scenario. He still finished P4. It's not a podium, but he got good points. And uh, his teammate got to go on the podium for let's just say right now one last time for Ferrari. Yeah, most likely I think. Um, I mean in case we get any more wet races, but there's some tough tracks coming up for them. So I think that is probably yeah, the last I, one. I don't know how much rain that we're going to have in the desert in Bahrain <laughs> and exactly. Abu Dhabi. <laughs> <laughs> Good point. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was amazing how quickly he calmed down. He went from like 10 to a 5 within a minute. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I guess the, uh, the key to Vettel's success this season has been uh, Benato staying at home, staying back in Italy. So maybe the next couple of races, that's what they need him to do. Well, Seb jokes in his uh, post-race press conference. He said, uh, yeah, we'll see how next week goes. But if we don't do well next week, we'll have to tell Benato to stay at home, <laughs> which is <laughs> was pretty funny. Obviously, he said he was just joking in the end. Uh, but uh, kind of funny, funny that he said that. Yeah, I wonder how, maybe it isn't that much of a joke. <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but yeah, what a, a fantastic podium uh, for Fettel and, and still a good result for, for Ferrari as well. They shot up the constructor standings. I think they're only now uh, six points back at Renault uh, for fifth. So great haul of points. Yeah, very nice for them. Uh, of course, they're used to uh, P3 or P2 in this constructor standings as of the late, but um, that, that will, will help their confidence a little bit and getting a little bit more money. You speak of constructor standings, I think they were talking about uh, on the, the broadcast how important this race was for Racing Point, just going back to them quickly, uh, in getting P3 in the constructors because the difference between P3 and P4 in the constructor standings is about $10 million, I believe is what they said, or 10 million pounds, one of the currencies that they use. It's a lot of money for these smaller teams that are fighting for that uh, that extra money. So you can tell how, how intense they were for getting points uh, to get P3. Yeah, a great point that you bring up. And also just to add on to that, also McLaren, how important this race was for them in the constructor standings. Even though they did lose out to Racing Point, who has now moved into third place, they're only five points back, but they gained 15 points in that race thanks to Carlos Sainz's great drive in P5 and Lando Norris in P8 also with the fastest lap. Considering where they started from, you know, with the grid penalties 13th and 15th, it was an amazing result because Renault was starting 5th and 7th and obviously Racing Point was starting 1st and 3rd. So for them to snag 15 points and only be five points back of racing point is huge for them. And like you said, obviously for them, uh, that big chunk of prize money is, is a big deal as well. So, you know, last week we had at Imola, or not last week, two weeks ago at Imola, it was Renault who was kind of in the driver's seat, racing point who missed out. And now it's sort of flipped all around on its head once again. And now it's racing point in the driver's seat and McLaren just knocking on the door. Yeah. It'll be interesting. The last three races go, I mean, uh, the, circle the square track at uh at bahrain uh will really suit the racing points with their top end speed i think um so maybe that's gonna be a race for them to to try and pounce on um i don't know how the other two races could go you know who knows what the other two races are but i think that's a, a prime opportunity for racing point is coming up is that uh, very uh short uh fast layout of bahrain the one we're not used to yeah, absolutely. They got a good uh, Renault's got a good low downforce package usually as well, mm-hmm. so it could be it could be pretty close. It's going to come really down to the wire, and I mean, you know, who knows? Ferrari could maybe in the mix for for a top five finish, um, depending on how friendly it is to to their car. But yeah, we'll see. Um, now, getting back to the race, uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about Max Verstappen because for maybe the first time in quite a while, I don't know what you think, but for me anyways, Verstappen looked quite average in this race at the Turkish Grand Prix. Obviously, as we mentioned a couple minutes ago, he had the spin on Sergio Perez, which was just really a move that he just lost a ton of patience. I mean, that was never going to work on the outside, especially in the wet conditions. I mean, that green astro turf, whatever you call it, was completely soaked and he spun right away, flat spot of the tires. And then after that, just wasn't, I mean, he was just struggling for traction on the low speed corners. I mean, every time he came out of the final corner, just massive amounts of oversteer always was running wide. So what did you think of Verstappen's race in a weekend where Mercedes were on the back foot? And this was like, it seemed like the weekend that was perfect for him, low grip, wet conditions, and just didn't end up delivering. Yeah. I mean, he was very handy all weekend, uh, led FP1, FP2, FP3, uh, Q1, Q2. Not Q3. Um, I'll say that went to Stroll. Actually, um, uh, Q1 was Esteban Ocon. Oh, was it? Oh, yeah. Well, I made okay, the same mistake yesterday, too. <laughs> oh, I thought it was Verstappen. Okay, yeah. Wow, good for Ocon. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I thought during the race, I thought, okay, well, maybe Max has a chance here. He's he's usually not too bad in the wet, um, from what I remember. Um, 
but it, it seemed like the Red Bull couldn't fire the tires off, or at least they could keep consistent temperature in the tires because uh, we saw them doing decently uh, at the start, and uh, Albon was up there too, uh, maybe looking for a podium himself. Um, but mistakes from both of them, I mean, that you mentioned that uh, lack of patience trying to overtake Sergio Perez. Uh, Sergio Perez said after the race, I believe, that uh, he couldn't even see Max in his mirrors because his mirrors are so dirty. He said he knew he was near him, but didn't know exactly where he was. And it, that's there, there's no that's Sergio Perez's fault for that incident, not nothing at all. That's fully on Max for not being patient enough. And I think he had another spin later on in the race too, or not too long after he had another little moment where he spun out too. So it just wasn't Max's weekend, unfortunately for him. Um, but knowing Max, uh, he won't let that bother him. He'll be back stronger than ever in Bahrain. Yeah, just another, I mean, very interesting circumstances with the track surface as well, which we're probably not going to mm -hmm. see ever again, most likely. I don't know. I think they should just resurface every track 10 days before F1. I agree. Out. That was amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> Even in the dry, like when I was watching FP, I watched all the practice sessions for the first time in a while because it was back at Turkey and like first practice session, it was literally ice. Yeah, they're like, well, we can't drive on this. And they were using hard tires, which, I mean, maybe maybe throwing a set of softs to kind of rub rid of the track a little bit and, you know, help it out. But uh, no, no, just go on the hardest tire and try to drive on new tarmac that's very slick, very, very, because uh, they're saying they use smooth stones. There's there's no nothing coming out of the of the track to, to get that grip on the tires. It was very, very smooth, which I, if you know anything a little bit about friction, um, flat of the surface the the smooth the uh the slicker it is i mean it's just like that for anything i think i sent you guys this uh i don't know if anybody else out there saw it on the mm. friday night after the free practices they sent like engineers or whoever else uh, in, out in road cars to to lap the circuit just to improve the grip which was useless in the end because it rained overnight and then saturday and sunday so it washed whatever grip or marbles were on the track just washed it all off anyway but I just found that so funny because it was just, it was like this typical Formula One thing that only we would understand why it's funny. Um, but that was kind of, it was hilarious to see. Yeah. And because there are no support races at all this weekend, too. So it's not even like they could rely on that to, to help rubber in the track. It was like, all right, well, they don't have a fast car out here. Let's, <laughs> you know, you're on to Civic. All right. Just yeah. Go for a couple. Yeah, like they should have. They weren't driving fast enough. The one of the guys was like weaving really hard, but the rest were just kind of driving really slowly in a straight line. So I don't think it would have helped anyway. But uh, yeah, regardless, I, I thought it was still uh, very exciting, and uh, I don't think that it was fair to really criticize the track or the track organizers. To no. be honest with you, because it was so last minute that they got awarded this contract to host a race anyway. So I mean, it, it was just amazing that we could come here to race, and if that to be confirmed slot for twenty twenty one is still open. I think my vote would probably go to, to Istanbul Park to put it in there. I think this track absolutely needs to be back on the circuit. Um, I kind of just forgot how great it was. And we usually get great races here, regardless of conditions. So it'd be nice to see this track return permanently onto the calendar. Yeah, well, it's a really fun track to to watch. Um, of course, it, it, in the dries that um, for Apex left-hander is amazing to watch in the wet it's not really that amazing to watch um, it's more like uh trying not to lose it uh during all four apexes but um it's it, it is a very fun track uh, and hopefully they can get it back there's yeah no, nothing should be blaming the organizers uh if anything 
it was a great idea that they resurfaced the track 10 days before the event. I mean, it worked out great. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I think that they should be same as Portimao. I think they should be back uh, as well for next year. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. Um, so we were talking about uh, Red Bull, the other Red Bull, Alex Albon, who for the first half of the race after Lance Stroll was starting to fall off, I honestly thought that he was going to probably win the race. He was in the best position after Perez was struggling with his tires later on, and then he was just flying. I mean, he was the fastest guy on track. He was seconds faster than the cars behind him, and it seemed like, okay, Albon's in a perfect position to, at the very least, get a podium finish, if not win the race, and then once again, just made a simple mistake to uh, spun. I believe it was lap 34. I can't exactly remember which turn it was. I believe maybe it was turn five. Spun around, and then obviously Hamilton passed him, and then eventually Verstappen caught up, got by him as well. And then eventually Albon did come home in P7, which was quite disappointing, um, you know, just to see where he was. And obviously his teammate finished ahead as well. But I just kind of wanted to, to throw this question up to you. We've been talking about Albon pretty much every weekend for the last couple of months now. And this race obviously was a great sort of contrast between him and the man that's been rumored to be a candidate for his seat next season. And that's Sergio Perez. So let me pose the question to you after the Turkish Grand Prix. Who do you think is in, let's say, pole position to get that Red Bull seat in 2021? Is it Alex Albon or is it now Sergio Perez after his performance? I think Red Bull would be silly not to put Sergio Perez in that car. I mean, it would be a travesty if uh, if he is not in a top tier car for next season because uh, he's shown this year how much potential he has. Um, you know, I think other than he scored in every race except for the two that. Obviously, he missed because of COVID. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, consistency is there for Sergio. He's proven week in, week out that he deserves to be an F1. Um, So, if he's not on the grid in general next year, it's a shame because that's uh, he should be on the grid next year for sure. But if Red Bull wants someone to get them a lot of points, push max, help the strategy to fight the Mercedes next year, um, Sergio Perez is the man to do it. And he should 100% be in that Red Bull seat for next season. And it's nothing against Alex Albon. Uh, he's a fantastic driver. He's going to do great things in F1. But he needs some more time to learn. He's not ready for that Red Bull seat, in my opinion. And I think another year or two at AlphaTauri would be fantastic for him. Yeah, I'm 100% with you on that. I think uh, it, it would be absolute travesty if Sergio Perez, after this season, not just the, the last couple seasons, obviously his body of work speaks for itself, but just the, this season alone, what he's been able to achieve in a car that's been more competitive than the last couple of years. And quite frankly, if it wasn't for some of the mistakes from his team, he probably would have at least another podium, if not more, uh, throughout the season. So I think that Red Bull, if they don't put Sergio Perez in that car for next season, they're really going to regret their decision. Now, personally, deep down, I think that they're still going to stick with Alex Albon. Uh, of course, I've mentioned this so many times because of the 51% tie ownership of Red Bull. And Johnny Herbert finally made this comment on the broadcast, I believe, in one of the FP2 sessions it was. And I, I really haven't heard any of the the official kind of pundits maybe talk about that element of this seat, but he finally brought it up. And I think that he's absolutely right. And it's what I've been saying that they want to keep Albon. It's not just about the driver's skill anymore, as we're clearly seeing with how the grid is shaping up. It's about more. It's about sponsorship. It's about what you can bring. And putting all that aside, I think that the easiest decision would be to put Perez in that car when you see what he did in this race, but also all the other races. Like that's, that's a crazy stat. The fact that he's fourth in the championship now, 
after missing two races, he scored in every other race. The only other guy to do that is the seven-time world champion Lewis Hamilton this season. So a, a combination of Perez and Verstappen, I think, would really be what Red Bull needs right now in this era to fight Mercedes because I still think Mercedes are going to be the best car and team in 2021. And the only way for Red Bull to even inch closer challenge for the championship is to have two cars on regularly equal footing. And I think that Perez is just the perfect guy for the candidacy to to line up next to Verstappen. Yeah, 100%. And uh, obviously that second Mercedes seat is still available, but uh, Lewis kind of squashed those rumors that he was leaving during the championship ceremony with Mark Webber. Um, said he wants to do more great things in F1 and uh, wants to help with uh, changing the dynamic of, of how... Um, F1 approaches their race weekends in terms of uh, equality and, and going to all these different um, countries to to help with equality. I mean, it kind of makes me think they're going to Saudi Arabia uh, next season for the first time. And uh, I think just last year they allowed women to go to sporting events, um, which is kind of silly to think of. Uh, so hopefully that you know, they, if if that's the plan, they can kind of. He can, he can help out uh, bring a that. But uh, yeah, going back to the whole Perez thing, uh, he has to go in that seat. There's there's no other choice. It would be nice, but he, he would still, Alex Albon will still be in the Red Bull family with, uh, with Alpha Tauri and representing Red Bull there. So I don't know. I, I think that he can still get the money. And the publicity, uh, but have have Albon in, in the Alphatari. Yeah, because to me, let's say if they don't and they stick with Alex Albon, which I, I do eventually think will happen, what happens if Albon has another similar year to this year and Red Bull are in a similar position where Albon's way down the field and Mercedes are running away with it again and Verstappen's just left alone to try and fight two cars? They're going to really regret not having Perez, especially if Perez is sitting at home or, or racing in another series. But uh, yeah, I, I just think it's ridiculous for, for a guy like him to not have a seat. And I know that the whole conversation, again, circles back to the whole, well, you know, Lance Stroll and all that stuff. But again, you know, he, he's proven his worth in Formula One. You've talked about this a million times about having more teams, which would help with this solution and this problem. But uh, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see what the decision is. But I really thought that the Turkish Grand Prix, like Red Bull's just kind of waiting for Albon to have that one good race that will justify the the renewal of his contract. And I thought that this was going to be that race, especially if he was to win it. And again, he just kind of continued his sort of pool run of form. He was, he was again, way off in qualifying. I know, you know, difficult conditions, but in, in the race too, just, just struggled as well um, in the second half of the race. So let's see what happens. Uh, you know, let us know what you guys think. If, if Perez should be in that seat or Albon or you know, Hulkenberg maybe, but I think that Perez is sort of the leading candidate right now, just with what he's shown us. So yeah, interesting times ahead, I think, for, for Red Bull. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a big decision for them to make, and it's really going to settle what the driver market is going to look like next year in F1 because really the only seats we're waiting on, um, obviously the, the Mercedes seat, but 99% that's going to Lewis, obviously. Um, you have the Red Bull seat, and you have the two Haas seats, and I think that's it right now for uh, for seats. Lance Stroll's not con- is not signed, I guess, for next year, but I think he's going to be signed for next year. I think he'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, just a couple more things to to, to wrap up. We kind of saved this one uh, for last as, as it being the biggest story, although there was a lot of stories. Um, I don't want to say this was kind of overshadowed, but just with so many things going on, was obviously Hamilton now officially clinches the seventh world championship. Mm-hmm. We've been seeing it coming now for for many, many races, pretty much since I would almost say the third or fourth race of the season. But now it's officially done. It's in the history books. Seven world championships, the same as Ferrari's Michael Schumacher. And uh, I was just commenting that, uh, you know, when I was writing my, my article yesterday, that if there was a Lewis Hamilton win that maybe irritated me the most, it was certainly this one. Um, and just from the standpoint of it was like finally that race where the whole field was sort of equalized and we, we might have seen another first time winner, whether it was Stroll, Perez or Albon. I was cheering for any one of them, obviously Stroll being the one I wanted the most. But I was like, yeah, we might get a first time winner again. And <laughs> Lewis Hamilton just came out of nowhere once again and cra- crushed all that hope that I had for that uh, race win. Did I think almost, I can't remember what it was, like 46 or 47 laps on the intermediate tire, basically turned it into a slick tire at the end of the race and pretty much eventually just coasted home to win. I think he built up an almost 30-second lead near the end of the race. He vetoed the pit stop for the fresh intermediates, which, again, was the right move. And, yeah, coasted home, another world championship in the pocket. <laughs> yeah, no, it was a masterclass performance by uh, by Lewis. Once again, it seems like he just keeps, keeps doing it, keeps throwing uh, amazing performances out there, so... You could see how much Bottas was struggling uh, and the, the difference of the two drivers there. I mean, Bottas had maybe the worst weekend he's had in F1. Uh, like, it's up there. It was really, really tough for him. Yeah. And I know he was very frustrated with himself. I think he spun four times or something like that. He looked like Vettel up there. Um, <laughs> but uh, roles were reversed. Who would have thought? Um, but uh, no, I am absolutely masterclass for from Lewis and kind of showed why he's the best driver in the world now, why he's up there for greatest of all time seventh world championship uh it was kind of um it was interesting i was, I was watching it i was thinking with the last like two three laps I was like oh, i'm watching history right here like we're going to remember this race as the day that lewis clinched his seventh record time world taking uh, all the emotions after and i made sure to watch all the post-race stuff. I mean, it was really interesting to see how emotional Lewis was and how much it meant to him um, to, to tie Michael Schumacher's record. And uh, in the end, it was a dominant performance by him, uh, a champion. And uh, it kind of gave me flashbacks to the 2007 title, uh, 2000, sorry, the 2008 title. When he won in the rain in Brazil with uh, all the interesting things happening in that race. And you know, it was a wet race here. Um, I, there was no clock moment, but uh, yeah, it was uh, it was kind of interesting to relate the two, you know, the seventh in the rain and one first in the rain. Well, he also interestingly said that one of the reasons he didn't want to come in is because of the 2007 mistake that he made in China when he yeah. got beached on the gravel there. So very interesting that that was in, in the back of his mind. Uh, at the end of the race too but yeah it was probably one of the very first times we'd ever seen like a a real sort of genuine emotion from him um where he kind of broke down over over team radio it was really cool how they did the the sort of uh the animation or or the the sort of projection onto his visor helmet um very cool from f1 they've gotten a lot of those interesting innovations this year uh of course it's easy when hamilton's winning so much they got time to to create (laughs) these things so good for whoever came up with that idea 
but yeah, one of the first times I kind of ever really remember him sort of being uh, that emotional. Um, but yeah, it, it, you're right. We were seeing a, a piece of history and, and in such a crazy race too. And usually Hamilton doesn't necessarily clinch his world championships by winning the race or even sometimes being on the podium. So for him, it was extra special to to do it that way. Continue his extension of uh, the most wins in F one as well, um, along with clinching the world championship as well too. So yeah, I don't really, I can't really even think back to the day or the race that Michael clinched his seventh world title. But you know, it was cool to to witness this one as well. And, and like you said, we'll remember this one for sure. And again, uh, like you said at at the interview with Mark Weber, that he, he's going to be back next year for sure. I think it's just a matter of time that that contract will be finalized, and then he's going to go for eight in two thousand twenty one. Yeah, he's got a good chance at it too. Um, obviously, in Mercedes, so we'll we'll see. I mean, uh, who can can Red Bull help uh, make the title fight a little in more interesting for this season? I know a lot of people were saying that uh, you know, sucks that he clinches early because the last three races don't mean anything. Well, the last seven races didn't mean anything. Lewis Hamilton was going to win the world championship. Like we already knew what was going to happen uh, this year, so. The last two races will be nice too. Just to enjoy the racing, um, hope for some surprises, and uh, just take every race as its own championship. Almost, uh, it'll be uh, fun to watch the end of the season. And thank God we had a season this year. Yeah, and, and I, it's like you said too. We we've known it was coming for a while now. It's just, it, and regardless of even if somehow Valtteri was able to extend the the championship onto Bahrain, it was still a massive long shot for him to mm-hmm. to even win the championship. So, and and much like you know Hamilton's done his whole career, really didn't put a foot wrong uh, in the race. I think again the one time he went wide uh, on lap one, and that was it. And the rest of the way, he was just able to keep the car on the right bits of the track, and unlike most of the other drivers just didn't make any mistakes when it really mattered the most and uh, obviously made the right call on the strategy too so yeah i think there's still a lot to play for though in the last three races like we mentioned with the midfield battle i think that's where it's really going to come down to um you know again out front it's it's kind of going to be most likely a procession uh at those tracks i think like you mentioned the desert we're not really going to get any crazy conditions unless we get some you know weird sandstorm, sandstorm. yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> even then you know it might work uh, in mercedes's favor so you know, championship is done now. It's official. We can we can kind of enjoy that and, and celebrate that. Um, but yeah, now we just kind of look to the last three races of the season. And usually when the championship is clinched, everybody gets a little bit more relaxed. You know, it's a little bit more fun in and around the paddock. So I think it's still going to be a, a decent end to the year. But regardless of that, I think uh, that that's pretty much covers the whole of the Turkish Grand Prix. Um, just before we wrap up, I wanted to quickly point out the crazy statistic that we didn't have one single safety car all all day. Yeah, yeah. Everyone was very nice and clean, uh, tidy out there, pretty much. Yeah, even you know the likes of uh, Latifi when he beached his car. And I thought they might throw in for Giovinazzi, but the VSA yeah. safety car at that point because Stroll was in the lead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so remarkable the fact that we didn't get one. Um, like I said, a couple of VSCs, but but that was it. So everybody was was pretty well behaved and was a very very interesting race weekend for sure. I really enjoyed it though. Probably one of one of the best races uh this season and we certainly had a lot to to vote for um when we get to the end of the year. But uh anything else that uh, you wanted to bring up or add for for this race that maybe I missed? Yeah. One more thing. I just want to give a shout out to another shout out to Sebastian Vettel. Um after the race he was the first person to Lewis uh, to congratulate him, and he was showing the emotion too with Lewis, you know, saying you you're, you made history, congratulations, and all that. And it was right there. It was really cool to see those two embrace each other. Obviously, Seb's had a tough year. He's been trying to chase Hamilton down for uh, a few years now with with Ferrari, 
Hamilton's got the better of him, and uh, but still a four-time champion and a seven-time champion now. Very cool to see those two embrace after the race, and uh, uh, you can see how emotional Hamilton was, how thankful he was that Sebastian did that, and uh, how how cool it was to see Sebastian. Uh, first thing he did, he saw Lewis kind of just emotional in the car, went over there to congratulate him, support him, and uh, I believe they're good friends off the track. It could be wrong. Um, but, uh, pretty special moment there to see combined 11 world championships, uh, embracing like that. Yeah, absolutely. Vettel's just a, a terrific sportsman mm-hmm. and, and, and great with that as long as Hamilton as well. And, and their bromance is very interesting considering we go back a couple of years and how intense it got for, for a short period of time. And it seemed like they were going to sort of be maybe like a Senna and Prost rivalry. And it, and it never sort of happened that way. It's kind of become... Uh, you know, the sort of new Hacken and Schumacher where there's a ton of mutual respect, but then even more so, there's also like a genuine friendship or or an appreciation of each other. And maybe, I guess, just to, to wrap up the show, I don't know if you saw this, Tyler, but I, I thought that this was a really unique comment from Lewis Hamilton in the post-race press conference when he was talking about Sebastian Vettel and while he was uh, behind him. So let's just ha- have a listen because I thought that this was really cool. I was behind Seb. And he, for a moment, I was thinking I might get past him, and then <laughs> me and him were having this battle, and it was so frustrating not to be able to get past him. But I, I was, but also I was thinking, you know what? Seb has had the toughest year, I would say, probably, arguably, perhaps in his career. And to finish, to I, I just thought that he was driving so well. So at the same time, I was like, he's doing so good, but damn it, he's in the way, <laughs> and the guys up ahead are pulling away. So it was almost he's like, well, you know, I needed to get by him, but, you know, I kind of felt bad for him. So I was just like, oh, OK, you know, I'll, I'll kind of stick behind him. But anyways, I thought that that was a, a very unique uh, kind of comment. And and their relationship is really cool. Like you said, 11 world championships between them, which is insane. Yeah. Yeah, right. no, very cool. And uh, yeah, the, the mutual respect between those two is, is just amazing to see. <laughs> You know, I'm glad we're going to see them on the track together uh, for a little bit longer in the next uh, year or two years. Who knows to, to come? Yeah, yeah. And who knows? We might get uh, maybe just one more championship fight between them. Uh, you, you never know. It, it's, it could be uh, yeah, interesting couple of years ahead. So, uh, yeah. yeah. But uh, a great weekend in Turkey. Thank you very much to, to the Turkish Grand Prix organizers mm-hmm. and for them, Istanbul Park, hosting the circuit. Um, that was the sort of final... Uh, I guess you'd call it new or, or slash returning circuit this year on the 2020 calendar. So it's been a great season of seeing uh, some of these old slash new tracks back on the calendar. So we've really enjoyed the race and we really enjoyed watching it and bringing this podcast to you. So that will do it for this episode number 97, where you're approaching 100 episodes, actually very close. I think we'll we'll get that within the next couple of races time. So this is the final stretch, guys, in the season. We got the triple header coming up. Of course, we got the Bahrain and then the Bahrain Oval finishing off with the finale in Abu Dhabi, as we usually do. And then that will do it for the 2020 season. So basically until then, going to be a quiet week for us as we'll take some time off here and uh, bring you the preview again next week for for Bahrain. But as usual, drop your comments down below of what you thought of this race, uh, any of the other incidents involved as well, and just any general comments that you had on the Turkish Grand Prix and also going forward for the rest of the season. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. All the social links will be found in the video description below. Tyler, any final thoughts? No, no. Fantastic weekend. And uh, can't wait for the Bahrain Oval on uh, a few races time. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> me too. Me too. I think it should be very interesting. Uh, yeah. But until then, I uh, hope you guys have a great day and a great week ahead. Thank you again for watching, and we'll see you next time. Bye for now.